Welcome to Choose Views with Richard Chu. Get ready to dive into a world of insightful conversations and thought-provoking discussions. As progressives, our job is to have an all-inclusive, full-on assault with all of our players. A show that will focus on moving our political, social, economic, gender, and cultural conversation forward. And all of our players means all of our players. It's Choose View. And now, here's your host, Richard Chu. Well, good Monday morning, everybody. Valentine's week is right around, our day is right around the corner, Wednesday, I believe it is. Uh, I've got my man Devin rolling with me today, keeping me from hitting the curb lines and doing all the stuff that he does. You guys don't understand. And I will give a shout out always to our uh, engineers here in the studio. Uh, Devin, um, uh, Alex, uh, of course, my man Henry, uh, Lady B, uh, the list goes on. We have great folks that keep us on the rails, as the phrase goes. But welcome Monday morning, choose views, the number is 773-763-9278. This is week two of this new role, and I'm ex- extremely excited as always, and, and I say this every show, I'm thankful and blessed to be here to hang out with you guys for the next two hours. Well, okay, let's deal with the um, the most obvious story in the room. I'm not going to call it the you know el- proverbial proverbially referred to elephant in the room, but let's talk about what happened last night, Super Bowl. What a great game. I mean, I'm not a, I used to be a huge football fan, you know, in younger years and all that. Um, grew up a Steelers and 49ers fan. So I am, uh, I'm, I would love for my 49ers to have won. Um, they didn't. Great game. I mean, you know, down to the wire. Um, I'll, I'll talk about one little technical football thing for a second. Um, if the 49ers kicker makes the point after kick when the 49ers go up, uh, I think 16 to 13, Devin, it would have, and and things panned out as they did in regulation, the 49ers win the game because that one point, even though the the Chiefs tied the game at 19-19 at the end of regulation, had he made that point after when the 49ers 49ers scored the touchdown, um, they would have won by one point. So it just goes to show my my point of that is no 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 pun intended. Every vote counts, y'all. Okay, yeah, you know I came ready to say that every vote counts. Every push, every lean into, every phone call, every postcard, every door knock, every person that's in your um, conversation zone, everybody counts. Cannot not make the effort in this upcoming election. And I was thinking about that. Late uh, last night, I was like, that's going to come back to bite the 49ers in the behind. And it did because that one point would have ended the game in regulation. And again, you make you make the assumption that things pan out just like they did with the field goals and all that. But, uh, yeah, so great game. Excite. My my excitements are this. Um, and and I just, you know, this is the other part of how I'm going to lean into the game and, and, and all the peripheral things that took place. It was a great night for sports fans. It was a great night for the entertainment industry. It was a great night for football. It was a great night for the city of Las Vegas. There's nothing like seeing the skyline of the of our great cities in the country. I'm a big kind of architectural skyline dude. I go anywhere in the world, um, and certainly in the United States, and I'm always drawn to the skyline. 
And the skyline could be the mountain ranges behind Salt Lake City or behind Denver when you're approaching from the east going, you know, flying in from the west. Sorry, flying in from the east toward the west. I love skylines. And Vegas really got to show off its skyline last night. And I thought that was really kind of cool. Not unlike last summer when we had NASCAR. I thought one of the coolest things about NASCAR, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, is that the city's skyline was, was shown, you know, for two or three consecutive days, even though it rained. The, the pull-away shots were beautiful. That happened last night. So kudos for Vegas for putting on the Super Bowl. I know that um, there are some politicians in Nevada that got, have issues with the, um, the money that the city spent and the state spent on the stadium for the Raiders. And I get that because, you know, those are tax dollars that could be going toward education. But at the same time, it was a cool night for, for the city of Vegas. Now, Let's get into the game and politics and all the conversation because we can't not not touch on that. So um, it was pretty amazing to watch the the lead up to the game. And I talked about this last week as it relates to um, the the conversations that were surrounding Taylor Swift and uh, Travis Kelsey as a couple. But then the the other arch of this is the conversation around her impact on registering helping folks or um encouraging people to vote so that was clearly a conversation that everybody was having it was clearly a thing that everybody was talking about and by the way the number is 773-763-9278 i um i found it interesting after the game um i just kind of you know was looking at some of the social media uh commentary and it was off the charts of the number of people who, well, in, in, in two parts, the number of people who are progressives, if you will, that posted really kind of fun, cool commentary behind the, all the hell that Taylor Swift caught last week, particularly in the last few weeks about the game and how so many people who are you know progressives were saying things along the line of, you know, the, the the Chiefs won and so did Taylor Swift. And I'm paraphrasing some of the commentary, but it was really neat because a lot of people were just, you know, putting it out there. And then I saw a couple of, of uh, posts on uh, Twitter X that were saying the the number of folks, the number of, of uh, MAGA supporters or MAGA folks that were losing their minds on, on uh, Truth Social and the number of people that just were you know, bat guano crazy about the fact that the Chiefs did win the game after all the people that were pushing back and saying, you know, the Chiefs should lose and I'm a 49ers fan and yada, yada, yada. And I, I just, I, I found it very curious how people were so invested in that that they were, you know, they couldn't keep their heads on straight. So cool game, good experience. I'm glad that the, I saw a neat post. Someone said, uh, every year America wins the Super Bowl. And I thought that was kind of cool and they're very appropriate and accurately stated. But, yeah, you know, one of the things about sports that uh, has evolved, at least in my observation, I say evolved, which means it's always been somewhere, is that sports has always had its, um, I guess you could say, uh, adjacency to politics. And, you know, I go back to the 60s um, and the 70s and I look at some of the African-American athletes and I talked I've talked about this before. And that um, iconic picture of Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and um, uh, let's see, there were uh, a number of of, uh, Bill Russell. There are other civil rights activists that were in the movement. Harry Belafonte, I think Sidney Poitier, Sidney wasn't in this picture. 
But these black guys who were these leading black men in their craft, sports, um, Hollywood and politics at the time. So, you know, politics and sports have always been kind of, you know, close to each other. And it's just in the in recent years. And I think this is one of those social media moments, not blaming social media, but just showing the impact of social media as how um, it's it, it's pulled out all this commentary from people. So I remember growing up in the late 60s, early 70s, that um, there were many sports figures who were leaning into a political conversation. And let's face it, if you want to go way, 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 way back, Jesse Owens was probably the first um, athlete that became that that his success became politicized because of how Hitler was so against, um, obviously, the rest of the world. But certainly if you were uh, brown skin and Jesse Owens went to, you know, Munich and uh, and and did his thing with winning four gold medals. And that that really ticked off Hitler. And he was, you know, um, very defiant in that regard. So. That was a political. That was certainly probably one of the most globally iconic thing going on, uh, and has ever gone on. Which is what would, then we get into World War II shortly thereafter. So politics and sports, um, I think, have always been um, adjacent to one another, just by virtue of the fact that in many cases you have athletes speaking out because of the treatment or the mistreatment of someone else or some other group of people that doesn't, that isn't as empowered as those athletes might be. I think it, it won't say it takes a lot of guts, but I think it's certainly a um, statement about the athlete or athletic groups when they do that, because it says that they recognize the influence that they have. My sister Linda says this often to much, uh, to whom much is given much is um, much is deserved or expected. So when, when athletes lean in, and again, they lean into the things that are important to them and their constituencies. Uh, I think it's important that we that we recognize that they have a voice as well. And I firmly disagree with what uh, Laura Ingram said a couple of years ago when um, there was this uh, segment that I think it was ESPN did on uh, LeBron James and, and uh, uh, Kevin Durant. And it was kind of, a, you know, they filming them for a day driving around um uh, by Oklahoma, I think he was with Oklahoma City at the time, meaning Durant and uh, LeBron maybe with the Cavaliers. But she, they were talking about just the things that were happening, and it was tying a little bit into Colin Kaepernick. And she, you know, infamously said, "Just shut up and dribble." And I'm paraphrasing that, but that was the the net result: just shut up and dribble. In a commentary on her show, like the next day or so. And both of them said, we will continue to do what we did, which is play basketball and talk about things that are important, not just to us as black men, but to the communities that we serve um, and the greater community of folks who are are, are, um, are impacted by policy. So politics and sports, guys. And last night, uh, you know, we had one of the we had the the iconic game. Um, and yesterday on the family meeting, um, we talked about how we're not supposed to say. I guess we're not supposed to use the word Super Bowl um, as it relates to promoting or talking about the event, which is kind of crazy. I mean, how do you not do that when you're if you're on a particular uh, or part of a particular form of media and you're describing it? How do you what do you say? The Just say the big game. You know, you can't say Super Bowl. So, I, I mean, I know that uh, Eric mentioned that that's still kind of an ongoing 
conversation, but I don't really know the reasons why. But uh, that being said, guys, the number is 773-763-9278. We're going to take a quick break. This is Choose Views, and we'll be right back. It's Choose View with Richard Chu on WCPT 820, where facts matter. Wake up, wake up, wake up. It is Monday morning, and this is post-Super Bowl broadcast, sort of, kind of. Uh, but I am really, really uh, happy to be here as always. And uh, so, some um, some shout outs to, to different folks. Uh, we've had a tremendous number of people that have started to follow the show, and I'm grateful for that. So I want to give uh, a shout out to uh, my uh, Indie Armor, Dwayne Rogers, Paul Carroll, Michelle Willison, uh, Optimus Prime. Always, um, and you know, just appreciate you guys checking us out, and of course, my uh, my good friend Karen uh, Byrne, and the list goes on. Samantha Wright. We've got some really, really wonderful people uh, follow the show, um, whether they're uh, listening or checking us out on on uh, our Twitter feed. So great stuff, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. So last week, um, and I want to get some responses to this, guys. So I had a question uh, that I that I uh, presented to, to you guys that I want to lean back into from last week. And that question was, or is, um, do you think that, that Donald Trump would continue with all of these, um, motions and delays and, and, um, postponement attempts if he, upon losing that, that request or that motion request, um, had to pay back the dollars that it cost the court system. Um, I'm curious about that. I wonder what you guys think if that were the case. Um, and that, that would be true for anyone. But let's just put this in the vein of Trump right now, because that's what you know we're all talking about as we're looking at this upcoming election. Do you think that if he had to pay back, because you know the stall tactics are are obvious. We all are aware of it. We don't get sit in denial about you know he's just trying to exercise justice. Um, what would we? What do you think uh, would be the case? Would he if he would he continue to do that um, or not? So give me a holler about that. I wanted to ask that question of you guys. The other one that I thought would be um, uh, good to represent to you is um, how, what are your feelings about states like Colorado and New Hampshire uh, as it relates to SCOTUS's decisions with regard to uh, trumping on the ballot? And I, um, my question, what I'm curious about from you guys is if um, Texas can essentially deny or defy a ruling by SCOTUS as it relates to uh, immigration, um, then should Colorado and New Hampshire take the same position? Should they thumb their nose up to uh, those to those decisions by? Uh, the Supreme Court. So I'm just curious. I like to kind of come from a different angle on some of the questions. Um, might not seem um, uh, too crazy when you think about how it impacts the people in those particular communities. So, all right, this is week two of Choose Views, and uh, I'm going to lean into something that I started last week. Um, and I mentioned that you know that we've got to get, we've got to make sure we st- are staying on board with with President Biden and the administration. So. I'm taking it upon myself to talk about every couple of days. We're going to talk about the successes of the Biden administration rather than just throwing um, essentially cold water or not even covering like the mainstream media is not really doing. I mean, after the uh, the night, the, the win that he had uh, in the primary, uh, they spent all this time talking about what 
that meant from a negative perspective? And um, how does this hurt President Biden that he didn't have even higher numbers and he almost maxed out on what the capacity was? So what I want to do is lean into some of the things that the administration is doing. I've been saying this for months on the family meeting that the administration needs to make sure that they spend a lot of time, lots of time daily, if necessary, talking about the successes. So here are a few more of the Biden administration successes. They've advanced cutting uh, edge, uh, advanced cutting edge research on cancer and other diseases through the ARPA-H initiative. You can look that up. Sign legislation to put more police officers on the beat and invest in community, pol- more, more investing in community policing from a federal level to help the states and cities out. Sign the Electoral Count Act, which takes long overdue steps to protect the integrity of our elections. And that's one of the reasons why this conversation around the 2020 election was stolen is is crazy. Lower the cost of hearing aids by making them available over the counter. That's a big deal because um, in my own in my own family, um, you know, we've had members of our family that had that have had to wear hearing aids or hearing devices, and so um, they can be extremely expensive. We priced out. Um, uh, hearing aids uh, for one family member, and they were close to $3,000. So, you know, if you talk about an everyday middle-class family having a child that has to wear hearing aids, that's a big deal. So the administration helped in lowering the cost of hearing aids by making them available over the counter, and I think that's important. Um, also, created more, and this is, a, this is one that not enough people, regular, everyday folks are not talking about because they look at the, the, what's happening, what happened with inflation in 2021 and 2022 and only get focused or stay focused just on that rather than looking at as inflation has come down, which it has, and the data backs that up. But creating more manufacturing jobs in 2022 than any single year in nearly 30 years. Signed an executive order to encourage competition across industries and took action to lower energy costs to all families. I think those things are important. We, they, they don't get talked about enough. And, I, and, I, and to some extent, I may um, uh, put that uh, responsibility in the lap of the administration and their, their you know, if you want to call it this, their public, public relations arm where they're, um, I'm a, I'm a big believer that it's okay to, to brag about what you did if what you're bragging or if what you did is helping other people. And that's the, you know, that's the charter of the administration is to talk about these items on a daily basis as a, as because they impact other people. And because in the long run, that's what folks are, are complaining about that. They're not feeling this sort of this Biden economy or the Biden um, the growth of the Biden economy, if you will. So hopefully each day um, we could talk about that or I can certainly lean into it and give you guys some nice content, things that you can look up about what the administration is doing. And that will help you to be a little bit energized in what I call this purple plan. My purple plan. What is the purple plan? Purple plan is, as I see it, is we are in a blue state and we are probably going to vote blue uh, for the most part, up and down the ticket, and that's great. However, the outreach that needs to come from folks in in blue cities and blue states is to find the the races in the country that are um, either purple or leaning uh, in the direction of the of the um, the progressive candidate, and get behind those candidates to help sure that 
to help make sure that those candidates get across the finish line. So um, the win is not just winning the White House. The win is winning, uh, keeping the Senate and flipping the House. So working uh, Richard Chu's purple plan will certainly affect that in a positive way. And the purple plan is reaching out to the states where those are are not even um, just the states, but even in Illinois, where there are a couple of races where they're purplish, purple-ish races. Um, So I think you can arm yourself with some of the Biden administration successes in getting involved in those races. And um, probably, I'm going to say next week, I will have a list of some of those particular races and uh, some uh, probably some phone numbers. I got to make sure I get that done correctly. But most definitely some of the races that are gettable and some of the and the races that we are most definitely have to, we have to keep them all, but ones that we have to make sure that the candidates got the support that they need in that particular district. So um, Biden administration, I want to talk about one other thing too, uh, not one other thing, but a couple of things today as it relates to um, the Biden's, the, the Biden administration successes and not just who they're helping, but who they're not hurting. And a lot of times the conversation is, well, what is it doing to, to help me? And I, I ask this question all the time, name three things that the former guy did that directly impacted your lifestyle, your pocketbook, um, however you want to phrase it, but that directly impacted you. They call in with three things or write them down so that you can ask, answer the question. Three things that the former guy did that benefited you. And then I'd like to know um, or ask, you know, you don't have to tell me, but ask yourself three things that the current administration has done that have that's impacted your life in a positive way, whether it be economically, socially, um, or any other of the categories that may seem important. But those are the qu- kind of questions that uh, I believe progressives have to ask themselves. And certainly independents have to ask themselves, what is it that the former guy did that benefited my life specifically? And what is it that President Biden and his administration are doing now that are benef- that um, that's, that's hurting me? And I think you can kind of create your own clarity when you ask those types of questions. So, We're going to take a quick break. This is Chew's Views, and we'll be right back. It's Chew's Views with Richard Chew on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. Hey, guys, we are back, sitting here with my man, Devin, keeping us on the rails. Um, So I was talking about the... uh, uh, Richard Chu's purple plan, Chu's purple plan as it relates to helping out in other states. And we'll keep leaning into that as it, as it, the shows go by. But one of the things that I, I've been kind of pulling different data and, and research information on a conversation that has um, a few months ago, I, I would go back as far as the summer. It was it was a little bit under the breath of people. But now that we have gotten further into election season, um, and this is something that I, I, I will talk about probably every week. I can't say I'll talk about it every day, but I'll certainly talk about it every week. And that's this, um, this question around African-American men not voting for President Biden. Um, and I'm going to get to that. I'm just going to, uh, but I want to talk about something first that's statistical or database. And I've got some other pieces that are, that are critical. So. This is something that doesn't get talked about a lot as we, we look at 
uh, justification of, of voting and as, it, as that relates to who's impacted by the administration that's in office. So when we look at black unemployment and the black unemployment rate by president over the last um, 15 to 20 years or so, the worst ever, and this goes back further than 15 years, but the worst ever was 21.2%. And that was, ironically, for all the people who used to believe in the saint, St. Ronald, that was in 1983 under Ronald Reagan. It's the largest black unemployment rate ever, 21.2%. As President Biden would say, that's a BFD. It really is. The second worst, and I'm, I'm merging this for a reason, the second worst, 16.9%. Wasn't under President Clinton, wasn't under Bush one or two, and it wasn't under President Obama. It was under 45. It was under Donald Trump. The worst or the highest unemployment, second highest unemployment rate was 16.9% under Donald Trump. And those are just statistics that have come from um, sources that, I've, you know, pull together and, and rely on um, to give me some accurate uh, information. The last year that, um, or I should say last year in 2023, was the first time um, that black unemployment did not rise over or above 6%. And since, since these statistics have been, um, been kept, and the current number is 5.3%. So the best ever, 4.8%, and guess under whose administration that's been under? the current administration under President Joe Biden. So, yes, I'm leaning toward President Biden. I'm full-throated voting for President Biden and Vice President Harris. So I don't want someone to think that this is just a partisan way of looking at the numbers. It's just based on the data that comes from the Department of Labor. So when I hear this uh, juxtaposition of, oh, my God, black men are not going to vote for President Biden. Black men are not happy with President Biden. Okay. Well, the first half of that statement is... is, is um, I look at myself, and not that I'm representative of every black man in America or black voting man of America. I'm not fully happy with everything the president has done or is doing, but how could I be? I wasn't that way with President Obama or President Clinton or any other uh, Democratic president, and certainly not that way with any of the Republican presidents. So it's not about being entirely happy or fully happy with what the president is doing, as long as he or she isn't doing something that's criminal uh, or unethical, but it's about getting the most you can and leaning in to get more of that. And when it comes to unemployment, this is something that I want black men to really, really understand. The data doesn't lie. And when people say, well, Richard, but we don't feel it in the community. We don't feel it. That's probably because of how inflation impacted things. And we had this devastating uh, um, crisis and virus, COVID, that impacted everybody's ability to circulate and do what they normally do. Everybody. Not just black folks, but everybody in, in, in our, all of our communities. The, the current unemployment rate for black Americans is 5.3%. The lowest, the best ever was in 2023, 4.8% with president, under President Biden, or the current administration. So I'm going to merge this with something that um, I think is important as well. And that is we hear, when, when I've been kind of doing some research, Devin, to kind of get an idea of why this conversation has escalated. I know that a lot of it's political um, in its nature, and I know a lot of it is 
the need for the media to have a, a horse race. And so by saying that black men, a stalwart in voting for a Democratic president is is lessening and it's not going to happen and it's, you know, this is going to be a problem. Um, I know that that's a sexier conversation than what I like to say is what's going to really move the needle. So the math on this is pretty simple. I've said it before. I will say it again because it's numbers. So in the swing states or in the non-swing states that are blue, as we look at the way that our votes are counted with the with regard to the Electoral College, if 5% of black voters were not to vote for President Biden, whether it be they don't vote at all or they vote for a third-party candidate or, God forbid, they vote for 45, if that were to happen, that's a shift. If, if 5% less were not to vote for President Biden and those votes went in those other three categories, that's a shift. However, a bigger numerical shift is if 5% of white female voters, whether they be city, suburban, or rural, were to vote for President Biden. A shift from 45, from last year's, uh, some, from 2020's election, and voted for President Biden. That's actually a bigger number of people, of raw votes, because there are more white women voters than there are black voters in those same metropolitan areas. If you take, and again, I, I denoted it as the swing states and or um, um, blue, probably blue voting states. Because I don't see a red state that, that I, I don't, I could be wrong about this, but I don't see a red state flipping fully blue in this next cycle. Um, possibly North Carolina might be the one because that was the closest one in 2020. That could happen. But the, what's going to make that happen in North Carolina isn't black voters. It actually would be white female voters that shifted their vote in North Carolina. So if, if, if 5% of the registered white female voters in North Carolina, so I can bring this down really, really basic, were to change their vote and vote for Biden rather than vote for Trump, that state would go blue. That's math. That's not my opinion. So when people are talking about black men not voting or showing up for Biden, the cycle, I want to ask the question, so what if white women showed up in greater numbers? Because people, a lot of people don't realize, those of us who follow and marinate in this too, that if 53% of white women voted for Trump in 2016, and that number went up to 57% in 2020, which it did, but that number goes back down to 53%. And those numbers go down in states that are um, not the not just the uh, swing states, but states that were close, North Carolina being one of them. That will change the election's outcome if five percent of black men, for example, in metropolitan areas didn't vote for Biden. So it's a it's a, a kind of a little bit of a sliding rule visually if there were an increase in black voters for uh, Trump or not voting for Biden and they vote for a third party. But there were a decrease and shift of white female voters in a non-swing state that's a narrow, that was a narrow margin state. Changes the election. So that's one of the things that I, I, I want people to kind of get into and really look at. Because when I hear the conversation around black men are dissatisfied with Biden and black men are dissatisfied with the, with the, the Biden administration, I get it. You know, I'm a pragmatic, progressive dude. I get it. 
Um, but I know that now is not the time to suddenly say we're not going to support this dude because the alternative is unacceptable. So I have to. I want to link this to something in terms of, the, of other data that I've collected. And that is, I hear folks saying, specifically, I hear black folks saying, um, listen, Biden didn't do anything for me. Biden didn't, hasn't done this for me. And that's, that's a conversation that's out there. We can't deny that. I mean, uh, uh, Charlemagne the God and the folks that are on The Breakfast Club are, you know, every time I see something that's posted on social media, it's about the trash talking that they're, uh, that they're doing uh, on their show about Biden. I'll give you guys an example. Uh, two weeks ago, they had uh, racism denier and enslavement denier Nikki Haley on the show. And um, I was highly PO'd about how they handled um, this interview. So they asked a question because at the, at the time, the hot topic was, does Nikki Haley um, believe that uh, what doesn't uh, what's a, what was the question? Um, what was the reason for the Civil War? Okay, so that question was out there. Um, and then in, the, in that same circle was this question about um, the United States being a racist or racist country or still has um, or has always been a racist country and still has a huge amount of racism. Okay, so we've all kind of heard the, the commentary and the question that was out there. So they had her on the show, Nikki Haley, and they posed that question in that conversation to her again. And she waffled around and waffled around and waffled around, which is what she's been doing. And she changed her position and she tried to talk about, you know, when she was growing up as a brown skinned girl and couldn't be in the pageants and all this other craziness. But the one thing that they did not do, which was disappointing, but it was typical of how they run their show and why there is a there's this this uh, streamline of conversation about black men not voting for Biden this time is because what they did not do, Devin, and it was highly disappointing, is that. A year and a half ago, they had Vice President Harris on the show, and they just went after her relentlessly. They wouldn't let her finish her answers. And I saw her take, you know, a a number of deep breaths to kind of woo-saw the moment because they wouldn't let her answer the questions that they were asking her. Now, when I watched the interview that they did with Nikki Haley, they asked the questions and they literally, they just kind of leaned back in their chairs and let her go on and on, basically making a campaign speech. They didn't challenge her questions. Now, here are a, a group of folks, a handful of, of, of folks on the radio that were asking a political candidate about views that she stated that impact them because they were about racism in our country and enslavement in our country, but they wouldn't lean into her to, to uh, do proper follow-up questions to her answers. So there are a lot of uh, what I like to call sniper voices out there on this conversation around black men specifically and black folks generally not showing up for Biden and the administration in this 2024 election. And they need to stop that. They need to, they need to, they can, you can question all day long. You can criticize the administration all day long. But what you cannot do is interview and talk with someone and not have data to back up or push back on some of the garbage that comes out of those candidates' mouths. I am 
going to lean into that. I, maybe I'm going to be the pushback voice in that in that conversation, but I certainly am not going to sit back and hear these things and then not be able to step to it and con- converse about it. So when we come back from the break, I want to talk about two more little things about Biden, the administration, um, and the uh, African-American vote. The number it is 773-763-9278. This is Richard Chu. Chu's Views will be right back. Welcome back to Chu's Views with Richard Chu on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. We're back, guys. Yes, it's me, Richard Chu. It is Monday morning. This is Chu's Views, and I appreciate you guys listening. So in uh, continuing on this conversation about Biden's success, Black voting versus um, not voting or voting for a third-party candidate or voting for Trump. Um, Let me kind of put a little bit of a bow on today's part of the conversation, because trust me, I will be leaning into this more and more. So uh, I was talking about before the break the the perception that there are – there's a reality to this as well in terms of the conversation about black men not voting for President Biden – uh, in this upcoming election versus voting uh, Trump a third party or not voting at all. So one of the things that during the pandemic uh, does not really get talked about enough, in my observation, is this. I mean, I've heard this is one of those snippets where I've seen the conversation out there on social media and on mainstream media where um, people talk about how good it was under Trump or when Trump was in office. So let me go back to my point earlier about Unemployment under Trump, black unemployment was the second worst since they've been tracking this data. Okay, boys and girls, you all who are saying that you had it so great under Trump, I'm not sure which segments or factions of the community are 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 leaning into that, and how much of it is bots. And there's a lot of bots that are representing that they're African American voices. So be careful there. But staying on the unemployment piece for a minute and how good we had it when Trump was in office, the second worst black unemployment under Donald Trump. They had faked a lot of people on the numbers. So what's that? What am I, where am I going with this? I'm tying this to the pandemic. So many people are saying, you know, what, what happened with the numbers during pandemic and, and unemployment and, and money in, in people's pockets? Because that's ultimately what matters at the end of the day. A lot of folks don't realize this, and this came from a right-leaning source, also known as the Wall Street Journal and the Pew Research Center. So this didn't come from a, quote, left-leaning news source or a research group. This came from ones that are right-leaning. So the change in net worth from 2019 to 2021 you would be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be. African-American net worth, as a comparison to other communities, went down proportionately to that of white Americans. The two of the four groups that we denote most often when we do our laundry list of um, voting uh, groups is white, black, Hispanic, and Asian. That's kind of the groups that we typically, you know, nobody be offended by this. I'm just taking taking it from the standpoint of how research is typically done. It's the white vote 
or white community. It's the black vote or black community. It's the Asian vote or Asian community. And it's the Hispanic vote and Hispanic community. Now, we know that collectively we got broader communities, but those typically be the, typically have been the ones that are most researched. And a lot of it has to do with um, how the, the world, but certainly uh, the United States or North America, has migrated. Okay, that's just the, it's not Richard Chu making a statement about anything. It's just kind of, okay, those are how we typically are, sorry, that, that, those are the four groups that we typically, typically categorize. So when it came to who got richer during the pandemic, for those African-American men and women who were saying that they had it better under Trump, okay, I'm going to have to say that some of that's anecdotal because the research and the data that's put out there by right-leaning research and right-leaning media, i.e. the Wall Street Journal, doesn't agree with that. Now, I understand what's in the pocketbook changes what's you know in the public. But at the end of the day, the Hispanic community and the black community saw a loss in net worth under Trump. Net dollars, real money. While the white community and the Asian community saw an increase in net worth. So... That's something that when the conversation around black voters walking away from Biden in this next election, when I hear that and the, and the justification around it, I always ask this question. And my good friend Karen and I talk about this a lot and I speak to, the, to a lot of people about this. When you see the polls, when you hear this um, conversation, you have to ask the question, who was polled? Who did the polling? Who's presenting the polling? And who is going to benefit from the polls themselves, whatever the polls may be? You always have to ask those four questions. Who did the polls? Who was represented in the polls? Who's presenting the data? And who is going to be the recipient of the data? Otherwise, the polls are numbers that may not be actually relevant. So one other piece on, yes, this is Biden. This is, this is uh, Richard Chu is pushing Biden today, but I'm pushing it based on data, not just my opinion. So one of the things that happens before every presidential election, a couple things, and that is as it relates to the how the corporate media handles the conversation around black voters during an election before pretty much every presidential election in my adult life, certainly in the last 30 years um, or the last probably the last two decades, according to. Um, additional research that's been done by Pew, uh, the corporate media for the last um, two decades during the election cycle, especially on the right, convinced conservatives that a record number of blacks will vote Republican. Now, did you catch that? That the, that the corporate media, and this is, again, a research um, uh, this is coming from research, excuse me, that corporate media, especially on the right, convince conservatives that a record number of blacks will vote Republican. So by convincing Republicans that a record number of blacks are going to uh, going to vote conservative or vote for the Republican candidate, that further feeds the narrative that black folks are not supporting the the progressive or democratic candidate. What actually happens, though, is the election occurs. And what I'm about to say was 
purely what happened in the 2020 election with President Biden. But then what happened? But the election occurs after this high amount of of um, corporate media trying to convince conservatives that more blacks or a record number of blacks are going to vote Republican. Then the election occurs and 90 percent over the last four, no, last five election cycles, whether the Democratic candidate won or the Republican candidate won. This is the irony of all this. 90 percent, 90 plus percent of blacks vote Democratic and the pundits never bother to correct the months of the false hype that was put out there. Once again, Pew Research, National Identity, where, excuse me, I put this data together. Not me. I went looking for it because I was looking for ways to kind of help stem this tide. By doing so, what actually happens is that they uh, create this pervasive false narrative that black, that the black vote is shifting when there's absolutely zero final data to back up there that there's any truth in that narrative. There's conversation about it, maybe leading up to the leading up to the election, but there's no post data that verifies that it actually happened. And what actually does happen is the phrase that I've heard used a lot is that black folks, when it comes to that final vote, no matter what happens during the election election season and cycle, become fairly pragmatic about what's going to be the best choice to get the most amount of stuff, like I said earlier, knowing that getting everything isn't necessarily going to happen immediately. And for anybody that wants to challenge me on this next part of this, I'm with you. I know that a lot of voters are tired of, and that this could be the Asian community, the African-American community, the white rural um, middle-class community, the LGBTQ community can say, we're tired of waiting We want progressives, we want Democrats to act right now. I completely get that. However, I'm talking about the false narrative that doesn't get corrected by the mainstream media that says that the that black voters are going to shift to the Republican candidate in droves after the election occurs. And then 90 percent, over 90 percent of blacks vote for the Democratic candidate and other Democratic candidates then the pundits who were dropping that dribble before the election and the lead up to it never bothered to correct that. And it, and, and the, then the, all that months of false hype um, never get redirected or corrected. So by doing so, they create this not false narrative that there's a shifting black vote. This election cycle is not going to be any different. Um, but conservatives, nonetheless, will eat up this, you know, crap. And believe it and further promote this lie. And as they further promote this lie, they will, in in, in, in essence, um, chip away at the reality, but not, I'm sorry, chip away by using this false narrative, but there not be any credibility to that narrative. So I know we're coming up on a break, but I want to list out a couple of other quick things that I think are important about this black record um, the, this, I'm sorry, the record for black Americans as it relates to uh, Biden versus Trump. OK, so. During Trump's term, this is what actually happened. And I lean into this as it relates to black voters, cut taxes for the rich and limited tax credits for low income families, celebrated Supreme Court striking down the student loan uh, debt relief. 
worked to repeal the Affordable Care Act, not prop it up and support it to make it better, proposed cuts to SNAP and WIC and tighten work requirements, which that, that last part is, 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 is debatable, and eliminated rules for combating housing bias. By, by comparison, President Biden has expanded the child tax credit, fought to cancel over $132 billion in student loans, reduced the black, as I said earlier, uninsured rate, reached record lows, made the largest permanent benefits increase to SNAP, and has worked to combat housing discrimination and provided over $25 billion in rental assistance. And with that, you guys, we're going to take a quick break. The number is 773-763-9278. We will be right back. Welcome to Choose Views with Richard Chu. Get ready to dive into a world of insightful conversations and thought-provoking discussions. As progressives, our job is to have an all-inclusive, full-on assault with all of our players. A show that will focus on moving our political, social, economic, gender, and cultural conversation forward. And all of our players means all of our players. It's Choose View. And now, here's your host, Richard Chu. Welcome back, you guys. Thanks for tuning in this morning. This is Choose Views, and the number is 773-763-9278. As always, an ongoing shout-out to my man, Devin, for keeping us on the rails. Um, <laughs> my man, Cliff Schechter, who you've heard on various progressive shows and commentary, as a number of people have uh, since the game the in- ended last night, have been posting what the president posted, which I thought was really a baller move. And that is... With all the, you know, psyops and Taylor Swift is working for the federal government and blah, blah, blah this past week or two um, and saying that the president was, you know, in cahoots with with Taylor Swift and, uh, you know, all the hate that she got. The president posted a uh, picture last night on uh, on social media that showed him in that dark Brandon silhouette with, you know, the, the beams coming out of his eyes. And so. He put in the in the quotes, just like we drew it up. I thought that was pretty on point, you know, this, and he had some fun with it. So you can talk about Uncle Joe all you want to, but either he or someone in his in his world had the um, the frame of mind to say, well, we'll have some fun with this, which I thought was kind of cool. All right, guys, um, we got a few folks we want to chat with this morning. Let's go to Dave in Hoffman Estates. What's going on, Dave? And good morning. Good morning, Richard. Uh, like I brought up before, are you talking about the the black and not voting? It was it was it not you that said on family meeting about a month ago that that the young black men were not going to vote for Biden this year because they felt he hadn't done enough for them. That's been a conversation True. that's not just that didn't just come out of my mouth. I I, re, I re referenced that it's part of a big conversation. Um, yes, it's something that a lot of younger black voters are talking about. Um, but what's your point? And well, they're going to tell them like you're bouncing around us that it was, that wasn't said. You didn't bring it up. And that the fact so, that so, so let know, me... my response on that was, are we going to cut off your nose to spite your face? Cause be like in 2016 again, because of the fact that he didn't treat the, the blacks better at all. He treated them worse. And you want to vote for this guy? Okay, so let me address the first part again. I did say that, and I said that I was also commenting on the fact that that was a big part of the conversation. So let me make sure you're clear, because I know I'm clear. 
I did say that. Okay. okay. And, I, and, I, and I also said that that was part of a conversation that a lot of black male voters were having. The real conversation, though, Dave, and everybody is, as I pointed out before, that is once again being hyped by conservative media to say that black voters, particularly male black voters, weren't going to vote for Biden. And I also supported that that narrative with the, the reason that that's out there is because to what you said in part, that's that it's being said that black male voters feel as though they aren't getting as much under Biden as they did under Trump. And I back that up with more data that said that the reason that that narrative is out there is because they're not looking at the data to show that actual black wealth went down under Trump. So I agree with you that not voting for Biden right now by the comparative uh, or the alternate choice, which is Trump not voting a third party, is a cutting off your nose to spite your face move. And in my opinion, it's a dumb move right now. And the, and I tried to cover my behind by saying, for those who are worried that I'm saying that we need to, in, in all groups, LGBTQ, Asian, Hispanic, rural white, middle class white, and black, should wait yet another term for the Democratic elected candidate to do something. I said this is not the time for that. So I need to understand where I'm not clear. Okay. Well, that, like you said, about, you had said young blacks were not going to vote. No, for no, no. I need, I, I need you to answer my question. But we got it clear. You said that you had said that statement. That's all I want to be here. Okay. Because I didn't hear it in narrative. Okay. And, uh, but you understand, yeah, that I did, that, you understand that I did say yeah. it, right? Now, yes. I, now you said that. You said that. So okay. That's, and I, I wanted that to, to come out to here because... Uh, it seems like you're dancing around what we talked about last night, and you know, without naming names, you know. So, but uh, well, uh, the other thing that scares the hell out of me right now, you've seen this Trump is run off the rails about with NATO. Yeah, he's already given Russia, you know, free shot. He already said, you know. Yeah, no, and Dave, that's, I mean, listen, I, I, I've, I say this all the time when you call in here or you call in the family meeting. I love your, your let's take, a, let's look at this other angle that some people may not be looking at. Yeah, this NATO thing is crazy. And I was, wanted to lean into that as the week kind of plays out because of the, what's coming up with his appeal today. But, I mean, that's craziness. And, and, and so, so, Dave, let's layer this into the conversation about um, black men not voting for, Trump, uh, for, for Biden. So let's just look at it in terms of alternatives. And I, I layer this into what's happening in the Middle East. So if you say, not you, Dave, but if you and I are talking to people and a person says to us, I'm not going to vote for Biden because he's not doing this in the Middle East. He's not doing this in Ukraine. He's not doing this for black, black voters or black citizens in the United States. And we could list all these different groups. But ultimately, the other dude has said that he's going to do things that are going to cause harm that would be worse. Parking lot in Gaza, um, let, let, let Putin run roughshod through Ukraine. Um, he's going to deport people that he doesn't realize he can't deport because they're citizens. And I covered that last week out of the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so I just ask people to stop for a minute and think about that. You want, because you aren't getting your list of 10 items, you're getting seven of them. You want to tell me that you're going to vote for this dude or not vote for 
what the president is trying to do with a uh, crutch bearing House of Representatives on the right. You're going to vote for that dude over there because you ain't getting everything you want. Well, there's an alternative to that choice. And I'm sorry, there's an outcome to that choice that could produce some pretty negative things in your life. So, Dave, you're yeah. you're spot on. That NATO thing yeah. is, off, is off the rails, to use yeah. your words. Hey, what scares me, too, when I brought up about that, with, like with Michigan, like I said yeah, last night, you know, with Dearborn and Hamtramck and that, you know, if they don't go, and then if, as the worst case, if the, the young young ones don't go and vote for him, I mean, he didn't. It was it was too darn close back in um, what twenty twenty and that yep. twenty sixteen. I mean, you can't you can't afford you know to well to 20, lose any vote. Twenty sixteen was yeah. white was white female votes in Michigan. In each of the, the, the each of the the uh, swing states that went for for Trump in twenty sixteen, that was white female vote. It, it just was. Um, the numbers, yeah. the and numbers, are, but, but, but in 2020, it was too close with, uh, uh, metropolitan votes. I get, you know, I hear you on that. And so losing those, no, those numbers now would not be a good thing. Yeah. And all fairness too, Hillary didn't do a very good campaigning job, you know, but, you know, we got to be fair, but, uh, uh, Richard, I'll close out with this Saturday. Oh, about 12, 12, 30, I was heading home on. Westbound on golf and eastbound lane, there was about almost a two mile, like, uh, you know, like if you ever seen a uh, uh, funeral procession with the funeral flags, but yeah. this one, all these cars had Palestinian flags, big Palestinian flags. And then some of them had it, you know, with the flag with the fist yeah. in the middle saying, yeah. you know, yeah. free Palestine. I don't know what was going on or where they were headed. They were headed eastbound. I don't have, I don't know either, Dave. Maybe maybe you can be um, my my uh, on the on the road reporter and see what that was all about. But um, I was hoping to see the paper about it. But anyway, let me get off. But uh, anyway, we're all we're all solid and clear again. So all right, just want to make have sure. A, have a good day. All right, Dave. All right, have a good day. Talk to you bye soon. Bye bye. Yeah, I mean that that that's what we want to see and want to hear is you know if folks are thinking then they they're thinking through this conversation and so I want to come back to something in part that Dave said but um kind of a little you know way I'm I'm trying to refu- uh, um push back and get people to say that they're going to rethink their conversation about I'm not voting for Biden and I'm going to vote third party and I'm gonna, or I'm going to vote for 45 because you know, people need to stop calling him, whether it be in the media or other elected officials or certainly everyday citizens. They need to stop calling President Biden Butcher Biden and stop calling him Genocide Joe. Now, is what ha- is what's happening in um, the Middle East, specifically in Palestine, um, an act of genocide? Uh, yeah, it is. But President Biden is not pulling the trigger. Is, is President Biden... Um, not doing enough in terms of the funding element. And as I said yesterday, and I'm going to say it again and again, I do think that the Biden administration should lean into the idea that maybe until Israel gets their head right and has stopped being, stop being, stops being over the top, as he put it, that maybe the U.S. should say, I, um, we are going to pull funding. That might be a way to get Netanyahu back to the table or to rethink his actions. But I think it's horrible and irresponsible for people to call President Biden these names in terms of the genocide Joe and butcher Biden. Um, He can take it 
and maybe without a doubt, there's no maybe to it, he should be leaning into this even more and pulling the funding. But I don't care what your ethnicity, faith, religion, country of origin is when it comes to the Middle East. People got to stop doing that. Yes, because, you know, it, it, he didn't start the conflict in Israel or in Gaza or in Palestine, this current conflict. And to say that he's responsible for it by, the, by funding, well, I think the simple solution, it's repeatable for a reason, is to stop the funding. But at the same time, as I say that I don't agree with our position in continuing to provide that financial, financial support to, to uh, Israel, um, I've said this over and over again. We have to get to work as a nation to strengthen our resolve to end this conflict. And the same thing applies in Ukraine. And that's why making sure you're calling out your senators as they get closer to this vote for the funding that you are there on the phones and whatever to make sure that they get it done. I don't think that we can sit back. I mean, listen, um, if whether you're a young black voter or a young white voter or Palestinian uh, in the Detroit metropolitan area, as Dave was pointing out, or anybody in the country, we have to cut this craziness out. Because as I say this and we lean into the 2024 election, my fear, my concern maybe is that people will become lackadaisical and they won't show up. Um, and that plays right into the hands of what this Republic, this conservative media narrative is, which is to create enough, a chip away enough voters, just enough so that there is a close race. And if there is a close race, we've got a House of Representatives who will do everything in their power to affect the delivering of those votes. So we have to come out in droves. Your defiance is your right, but it's going to hurt you in the end. It's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt Devin. It's going to hurt millions of others that cannot afford to have the stupidity and allow Donald Trump to be back near the White House. So, you know, simply, guys, folks got to cut that out. You got to you got to pull you got to pull somebody's coat when they say, hey, um, I'm not voting for Biden because I haven't gotten all my my laundry list of things. All right, guys. It's break time. 773-763-9278. We have a couple of calls. We'll grab those after we come back from the break. You're listening to Choose Views with Richard Chu on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. Hey, guys, we are back. This is Richard Chu. Choose Views, 773-763-9278. Um, so listen, kind of shifting gears a little bit. I'm sure you guys uh, got the point. We have to get behind the current administration the Senate and the, and flip the House, state and local elections. And speaking of local elections and local events, I do want to chat a little bit about some things that have, that have uh, gone on here in Chicago um, over the weekend and the last, and the last uh, week or so. Um, not sure if you guys are familiar with the Palace Grill, which is on West Madison. I think it's like 13, just past Racine on West Madison, had a really bad fire, a legendary diner um, that's just down, what, six blocks east of the United Center, had a fire, I think it was Friday or Saturday, um, pretty severe fire, and that's it's a favorite haunt of so many people in the city, uh, north, south, uh, near west, certainly in the West Loop, and um, shout out to those who been impacted by that, but that's a, a legendary Chicago um, restaurant. Anytime you go in there, you're going to see um, all kinds of uh, you know framed jerseys and banners of the of the Blackhawks and um, of the Bulls. 
So um, I, I hope everything kind of gets straightened out there. And, and um, uh, I think the reports were no one was injured, but because it happened, I guess, overnight. But Palace Grill, you guys, um, put them in your in, in your in your positive thoughts that they're able to recover, as with any fire for any resident, a residential place or business. Um, so the another thing that that's uh, that's taking place, and some people may be happy about this, but um, I was I was looking at um, one of my uh, one of my feeds, Devin, and uh, the Pritzker Military Museum and Library announced Wednesday it's closing uh, down. It's um, I think it was last Wednesday, maybe the previous one. It's closing down its location that's on Michigan Avenue um, and moving uh, to an archive center up. Uh, um, close to the Wisconsin border, or it might be just in, in, inside of the border, on the other side of the border, uh, later this year. Um, and the, the museum, as you guys know, is kind of on, um, it's in that Monroe building. Uh, what is the address? Uh, it's, like, it's actually at Monroe in Michigan. Um, so they're going to close it, their doors on the, uh, in late July. Um, and um, they have a current exhibit of the War of 1812. So after that, then that's going to be gone. So it's unfortunate because it's like 40,000 uh, 40, artifacts and more than 65,000 book titles, um, three floors on that 16-story building, and will be going to their Pritzker Military Archive Center in Somers, Wisconsin. That's where it is. So it's about uh, 65 miles north, just across the border uh, into Wisconsin. So that's, that's um, you hate to see museums go. Um, I'm a big museum and books. So when whenever... <laughs> Whenever I travel somewhere, I, you know, like if we go to a new city or a city that I haven't been to in a while, one of the things I like to do is go to the, any of the bookstores that are in that, that, that town. And if I go to a museum, I have to go to the bookstore, if nothing else to buy, you know, a little trinket to say that I was there. So, um, um, I'm a museum nerd. I, I will admit that. Um, the other thing I wanted to ch- just chat about, which we'll talk about more as we get closer to it. I was having a conversation uh, this weekend with uh, some friends of mine about things that have happened in Chicago or things that happened in Chicago last year that were that are tied into tourism. And we have a big year in front of us. We had a great year last year. And I think one of the city's biggest successes, one of the region's biggest successes. And again, this is kind of an all hands on deck. All participants uh, benefited from it. And um, that's the conversation around how tourism went down. And after this quick call, I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, So let's see what Diane from Arlington Heights has to say. Good morning, Diane. How are you? Um, So far, fine. Not used to talking on the radio. That's okay. Um, Going back to your sports analogy. Okay. All right. The coach is the one that leads, but he needs a team, doesn't he? Absolutely. Can't coach yourself. Okay, we we didn't give him a team. It Whoa. really kind of doesn't matter who's president because the House and the Senate are the ones that decide. And we're talking about, okay, um, aid to Israel. How does Hamas or Palestine or actually got the Gaza Strip, how did they get their their food and water and electricity? It goes through Israel, and Israel's not letting it in. Yep. A lot of folks... Okay, so, so it doesn't matter who you give aid to or who you don't. 
And who gives aid to is to Hamas? Yeah, Israel. Israel. Because because he want he does not want a two state solution. He wants to own everything. And when you say he, you're I mean you you're speaking. I know of uh, Net- Netanyahu. Netanyahu. Um, yeah. Netanyahu. And a word that hasn't been ever said that I've heard on the radio is the Zionist. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. The, my analogy for that is I call them the MAGA people because I can only compare it to the United States. I, and all. I think you'd probably, not to cut you off, just to kind of parallel with you, I think you'd probably have a lot more people that would speak in the same vein um, as you are. Right, right or wrong, there are a lot of people who feel right. the same way. I mean, I'm not trying to defend that. And, Go ahead. Right. And Hamas is a MAGA people. Yeah. Okay. There's- All right. And yesterday... On the family meeting, which I did call into, but I'm sorry, I had to go out. You're not complaining, bringing to the issue, why doesn't Biden say? Well, Biden said to Abbott in Texas, take down the wire. So what happened? Indiana is sending uh, the National Guard to help Abbott guard his border. Not our border, his border. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the president says. You need a team behind him. There you go. That You know, listen, I'm going to come back to what you said. Um, you go gave ahead. Me, you gave me some bullet points. I, um, I got I got more. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> we, may have, we, may have really? you, we may have you call back, Diane. But listen, let me go back to something you said from the beginning about the team. And I am... One of the things that I'm, I'm really trying to get folks to understand, and they understand it, but it, lean into this. A president, and we can use recent times, very recent times. President Obama was elected and had the House the first two years of his first term. He lost yes, the House we, we, because people didn't right. show up to vote to help the team. No, because we didn't tell him to do something. We didn't. You, we, I, we didn't you 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 weren't um conditioned to call in to call call the white house number to call your representatives we we were quote unquote or not quote we were too dumb no you didn't understand how government works because it used to work and you have the republicans sleezing around and um you think, well, I'm too stupid to know. And really, you're not. Your opinion counts. Well, it does. And I guess. But he, nev- I, but he never had it. We never told him. Well, okay. And, and then not being to realize that I can give money to somebody in Arizona or I can give $5 to somebody in New York. Okay. To combat everything. I, I only vote for me in my state, and really it's the country, and now it's become the world. And to go what Dave said, it was brought up that um, the House won't, won't pass the aid bill because Trump wants to um, run on the wall. 
Or the border. Or the border, southern border, to be specific. Right. Okay. Then right after that, Trump comes out and says, no, I didn't say that, which is, you know, par for Trump. Right. But, but Diane, now let, he's me, picking l- on, let me... But let me, wait, now he's picking on NATO, and that's because Biden is trying to do something. The prime minister or whoever he is from Germany was talking to Biden yesterday. Do you know why? Well, before I answer your question, I want to lean back into something because you've, you've, you've given me a lot. So I feel like the, 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 the shotgun effect, I've got to pull back for a minute because if I can't answer your questions and the stream of things and I can't make a point that I think you're asking about, your first point is, is one that's important. And that is for folks to understand the importance of civics and understand what our presidents can or can't not do and what, why it's important to have a workable Congress, both the House and the Senate. And if not, if that's not in place, then the president is running on his own without the support to get legislation brought to vote to then get passed and signed into law. That's the structural civics and how we work as a democracy. So all these other pieces, Diane, that you're throwing out, they're, they're, they're notable and they're relevant. But at the end of the day, the president's decisions, other than when he had when when he uses executive power or executive authority, um, comes back to does it does it have to run through Congress? So right now, the the biggest issue, yes, is people understanding how the government works. But at the same time, it's participation in the voting process. It's participation in what I call the purple plan, where everyday citizens have to look at the fact that just voting in your state at this point isn't just good enough. It's we've evolved and we have to look at our participation outside of the state that we vote in is critically important to giving a president a strong House and Senate to help get legislation brought to the table and passed. Now, the other pieces that are part of that in terms of our uh, uh, international uh, affairs, absolutely, I, I hear what you're saying. But at the same time, I have to lean back into if voters are not participating, if voters are not working to be involved in other elections other than their own, it does make it easier for the Republicans to chip away at certain um, House seats, certainly, and in, in, in Senate um, Senate seats um, more generally. So, Diane, thank you for calling in today. Um, Got to hit a quick break. And I just ask that you give us a call back because we love to hear from you and we want to make sure that you don't have to uh, hold your fire. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Diane. The number is 773-763-9278. This is Choose Views and we'll be right back. You're listening to Choose View with Richard Chu on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. All right, guys, we're back. Thanks for uh, hanging with us today. Some shout outs to some new folks that are following uh, uh, WCPT and following Choose Views. Um, my, my new, um, I'll call all of you guys kind of my road warriors. I won't call you my road dog because that's an exclusive title. But my new road warriors, Debbie, uh, who, who, uh, turned, who has tuned in, uh, excited about that. And, and really, guys, uh, Diane made a good point. Um, a team effort. We do nothing without the team. Um, we do nothing without the team, and that that, that defined that team is defined by who you des- who you decide to put on your team. But I look at my success in life, and it's a te- it's been a team effort. Obviously, I work my behind off, 
in all venues that I've been in, but the things that have, but it's always been because there's been people around and behind me. And last night was a great example. Two teams did extremely well and it was a team effort to win on a lot of levels. And same thing applies here. So my team is certainly the folks here in the studio and the station and the people that support me personally and professionally, but also you guys as listeners and followers, you're part of the team too, which is why I give you my word on this. I will always listen to what you have to say. That's why I want you to call in. I said to Joan Esposito last year, we were talking about, you know, being on WCPT, being a progressive voice. And I mean this, you know, sincerely, you guys, we are blessed with the opportunity to be here and to talk about things that are important to us, all of us. And I also recognize this is an opportunity for a lot of people. And I love it when someone calls in, Devin, and they say, and Devin, gets, Devin screens the calls. I mean, he, he, the dude is, you know, he's got, he's got a couple extra hands, I think. He just hasn't shown anybody this. But Devin screens the calls, and he's the first voice. He's the first line of, you know, of uh, uh, connection. And that's, like, important. And the point I'm making about this as it relates to you guys being part of this team is that, doggone it, I, as I said with to Joan, we that have this voice want to provide you guys with a safe place, a safe space. So I'm always going to listen to what you have to say. And I will tell you this right out of the gate. I didn't agree with everything my mother and father said. I respected them and respected what they had to say, but they always gave me a safe space and a platform to talk about things that were important to me. My father used to say to me, and those who know me have heard me say this before. My father used to say to me, make your case. And that, that taught me a valuable lesson about being able to speak about the things that were, are important to you and, right. and to communicate those things. So that's what you're going to get here. You're going to get me not agreeing with you a lot. And I hope you, dis- you, you don't agree with me a lot. But at the end of the day, if we're pushing and pulling in a common direction at the same time, we will win this fight. And we'll come back stronger for the next one. Because guess what? 2024 is going to come and it's going to go. But we got another one coming right behind that. With local elections, we got midterms. We have to stay engaged constantly, y'all. We can't just be, you know, you know, like going back to what Diane said. President Obama didn't have a workable, you know, House of Representatives in his first term. Halfway through his first term. Lost the House. And then John Boehner and the Brinksmanship Boys were out there making hell. So that's because our team decided to stay at home. We got him elected. Now what are we going to do? Well, we got him elected. I voted for the black guy. And let's just be honest with what people were saying. You know, we don't have that luxury anymore. We haven't ever really had that luxury. But it's, it's more heightened now because of the polarization that's out there. So um, my comment to everybody, thank you for those who are new to watch listening to our show and following WCPT. Uh, Deborah, we really appreciate your following us and, and giving us your commentary. You got to call in. Kelly, um, as I said earlier, Vicki, just a wonderful amount of folks that have, have, have decided to plug in to what we're doing here at, at WCPT. Um, my man, Cliff Schechter, on and on. So, all right, before we went to the, uh, before we took Diane's call, I said I was going to hit on something real quick for you guys, and I don't want to lose my place in that. So last year, 2023, was a big year. You know, our, our, our spring and summer, Devin, we had, you know, obviously baseball started, Cubs and White Sox, all that's happening. And then we had our summer of events. 
and I apologize if I miss any, but we had, you know, we had Blues Fest, we had Jazz Fest, we had Taste of Chicago, we had um, uh, Lollapalooza, Taylor came through, Beyonce came through, and it was busy as hell in the Chicago metropolitan area in the region. And, um, of course, we had the, the marathon in the fall. We just had so many great things happen. And doggone it, for those of you who are detractors, the city of Chicago, the county, and the state, for that matter, pulled it off. We really did. When you think about it, we pulled it off. And we should pull it off because we're a big, badass city. We should pull it off. But I want to give the city its flowers for one thing that that was pulled off. And as I said, I was talking with a friend this weekend about this that I'm very proud of. I'm not a NASCAR fan. That doesn't mean anything. I mean, I never really watched NASCAR, Devin. I love cars. I just do. And I love this, but I love the reason I love NASCAR is I love the skill that it takes and the discipline it takes for those guys and gals that are professional race car drivers to get behind that, you know, 2000 pound bullet and navigate it anywhere. And to watch these cats come through this past summer and navigate that rainy, slick, different type of track successfully and only got, you know, we lost one person, a gentleman who was an engineer that, that uh, died while he was installing something, but no one got injured during the race, not a fan or a driver. And the city of Chicago was able, like I said earlier about how Vegas, that those panoramic views of the city was really beautiful for the city. The city of Chicago, and I said this to my wife while we were watching the race, it was so neat to see those panoramic views of our beautiful skyline. And the city pulled it off. It was a brand new thing, man. And we pulled it off. And I'm just proud of the city. I'm proud of the city and I'm proud of the workers of the city, employees of the city, and all the other folks that participated. And we didn't make a ton of dough on it last year, but we're gonna going forward. And how they pulled it off with just uncharacteristically crazy rainy weather. That was a huge feat, y'all. So what I'm, where I'm going with all this is tourism. Local tourism, by all measures, and I looked at the Harris Poll, was up last year. Now, granted, we had a ton of events. And granted, we're coming out of the, the tail end of the craziest part of the pandemic. I get, all the, I get all the things that happen that shift the conversation about the success of something. I understand that. But, I mean, for me, what's exciting about it is this is it pushes back on this narrative about safety and enjoyment in the city of Chicago. Okay. 53% of people polled by a neutral. Again, I'm not into left or right leaning polls. I'm into neutral polls as best possible. <clears throat> Excuse me. 53% of the people polled in this poll said I feel safe spending time in downtown Chicago. Now, I got issues with young folks acting a damn fool. Let me just be clear for those who are like, oh, Richard, that's unsafe. I got issues with young folks acting a damn fool downtown Chicago, irrespective of their culture or community or economic comes from. You tear somebody's stuff, you tear somebody else's stuff up, that ain't cool. And I know that that was part of the narrative of why would I go to downtown Chicago? Well, the people that were part of this poll said that they felt safe in downtown, safe in, and, um, and spending time in downtown Chicago. That means something. And when you pull off these big events, it's not easy. We've been a part of them in one way or the other. We have the festivals that are all around the city. And the, 
the fact that we've got polling now that's showing that people also, and this, this was at 71%, I enjoy spending time in downtown Chicago. These were tourists that were, that were surveyed along with people who are residents. And then the third group are people who live in, um, uh, outside of the city of Chicago and suburbs and, and uh, suburban and rural areas coming to the city. I'm proud about that. I'm happy about that. And yeah, it ain't perfect. We get this. And trust me, I will be leaning into these polls more and more because I've kind of found a source that's relatively neutral and talking, let me back up, not neutral. It's not partisan. So I can speak to it and feel comfortable that we're speaking about things that are important to all of us. That's got me very, very excited. Yeah, there's a, uh, a, a wariness of folks about crime. And crime's everywhere in the country. Crime's everywhere in the world. Trust me, I've traveled enough to know that it is. So to hear and to see two polls that come back with the plus with a positive and in, in the plus 50 percent um, uh, percentile that are responding with I feel safe spending time in downtown Chicago and I enjoy and that's really a cool one I enjoy spending time in downtown Chicago that means a lot y'all may be up in a different mindset about it y'all being the listeners who is y'all uh, but you know, I, I, I want to lean in the direction of the positivity. And yes, Mayor Brandon Johnson has got some work to do. I understand that. I'm, a, I'm supporting him, but they got some work to do. And Joan and I talked about this a couple weeks ago about our view of what can be done when it comes to our housing issue and migrant. But that's, a, that's not for today. Right now, I want to stay on this tourist piece. Increased public safety is one of the reasons why the draw to downtown Chicago has increased. So I think that's that they go hand in hand. Let's take this quick break. We've got a couple of calls we're going to grab before the end of the hour because we can't get everybody else in. 773-763-9278. I'm Richard Chu, and we'll be right back. It's Chu's View with Richard Chu on WCPT 820. Chicago's progressive talk. All right, guys. All I'm trying to do is bring you my best, giving you the best that I got, like Anita, the wonderful song by um, Anita Baker, giving you the best that I've, that I've got. Um, Devin, let's grab uh, a couple of these calls before we wrap up. Let's see what Brian, my man in Naperville, has to say this morning. Brian, close your window. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Hold on. Let me, I don't have my window open. I just, I apparently my car speaker, so I need to, let, me, let me try to switch it up here real quick before... Uh, <laughs> Are you trying to catch the train again? Is that what it is? Oh, no, no, just uh, on my on my morning commute. So morning. here we go. Is this better? What's going on, man? How are you? That's much better. Yes. I'm doing I'm doing pretty well this morning. It's it's a Monday, but I'm I'm getting through. So hopefully you're doing well as well. I am. Thank you for asking. <laughs> What's happening, man? How was your weekend? Um, I kept it low key. I All kept right. it low key, but <laughs> um, so uh, just wanted to comment on a couple things. Uh, first of all, uh, what you were saying about the uh, um, about Chicago being safe. Honestly, um, a lot of the crime stuff all over the country, all of the crime concerns, um, are really just a factor of the media hyping it up um, and Republicans trying to really put that as a, a an issue to run against the Democrats on, during elections. Um, all the statistics are showing that crime is down. All crime, property crime, violent crime, all that stuff is down all across the, the country. Um, it's been dropping precipitously since uh, the pandemic. You know, I mean, you have people 
who are desperate in situations, crime picks up a little bit as people start getting a little bit more safe, a little bit more uh, secure financially, that starts going down. So, I mean, I, I've been plenty of times. And I've had no problems. I mean, I know stuff happens, um, you, you know, here and there. But, I mean, realistically, it, it is still a very safe place to go and, and visit. Um, so, yeah. you know, I, I definitely appreciate you talking about that. Um, one of the things I wanted to kind of talk about um, is just, and I'm going to start by saying, you know, when it comes down to it, I'm going to hold my nose and vote Biden in, in November just because I know what's at stake. But there's going to, the, the Democrats do need to do better um, because mm-hmm. the Republicans are not going to stop being crazy. Um, <laughs> they've been on this trajectory for decades now. Yep. And I mean, the fact that, that, you know, the Dems still pretend that they can be worked with. Um, it, it blows my mind every single time. It's like Charlie Brown with the football. Thank just you. Getting it pulled out every single time. And we still line up for it every single time. And so <laughs> I think there's a big frustration, you know what I mean, with people because you have these leaders in Washington that don't want to let go of power. Um, I mean, Diane Feinstein basically had to leave the Senate in a body bag. You know, I mean, there was reports of her not even knowing what day it was. And, you know, she was, people were still saying, no, she's had a long storied career and it's, you know, and she deserves to, to be able to do her thing. But now what's her legacy? You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's the, uh, it's the, the whole situation with like Brady and, and Favre, you know, you can stay too long. You know, Michael Jordan, when he went <laughs> after his, you know, time on the Bulls, you know, but then all of a sudden he didn't want to let it go. And, and then he faded it. Uh oh. I think we lost Brian. All right. Up, you know, and I, I just there. feel like it just doesn't happen. No, you know we, I mean? we lost you for about five seconds. But listen, Brian, uh, first of all, <laughs> yeah. be, be careful today in your commute. Um, let me let me oh, say this. Course. Let me say this real quick to you. You're right. The Dems have taken have ta- for far too long nationally, even locally. We're going to let Brian go because I don't want to have a man be trying to get the call back and mess up. Brian, we, we love you, brother. I'm glad you called in. Look, he makes a great point. And Eric and I say this on a family meeting, have been saying it for years. The Dems have taken too much for granted for too long, and that has to change. Um, I'm not going to single out necessarily uh, Diane Feinstein, but Brian makes a good point. I mean, her legacy is about the struggles of her health at the end. And what what annoyed me, and I said this when it was when it came out that what she was really struggling with. And I know that the folk, the, the, the knucklehead on the right, and I'm talking about in this case, Mitch McConnell and this, this, the, the Republicans in the Senate weren't going to allow her really to step down because of the voting, our voting mechanism when it comes to judges and, and, all, and other things that were going on. But I still felt like her people, the people around her should have said, look, from a, from a standpoint of dignity, um, we need to let you walk away. We'll fix the problem on the other side as it relates to what McConnell's doing and the, and the other members of the, of the house Senate uh, caucus, just because I I'm, I'm to the best of my ability. I, I want to speak to the dignity of, per, of a person transitioning. And that was, that was not ha- good to see. And that leans into this conversation about what Brian was saying about our older politicians. 
from a team standpoint, to, tie, to kind of dotted line, tie this back to something that Diane said earlier, um, we have to recognize that if you if you have a team and you want that team to be sustainable, that you've got to constantly be in motion of tr- of bringing in and training the next and the next and the next. Who's going to follow up and back up? And so I, this this is funny. The, the foot, quick, real quick football uh, comparison. The thing I thought about last night is will the I mean uh, this morning is will the Forty ers stay together? They should. They got some, they got some serious injuries, but they should stay together because they were that close to winning it. Changes, yes, refinements, but they don't need to break up that team. That team is is built for some further NFC runs, if not Super Bowl runs. The Chiefs, they've got some. They've got a couple areas that if they want to have a dynasty, that they need to get on top of right now. Because Travis Kelsey has probably got two more seasons, maybe. As a big guy, carries a lot of weight around, and he gets popped. There's some players that they need to start to put into positions. And they need to make sure that they got some uh, guys on the front line to protect Mahomes so he can do his thing. We have, as progressives, got to do the same thing with our elected officials. We need to have folks at the ready in terms of how we're building our team of the next and the next and the next. And I agree with Brian. And Diane was kind of saying this as it relates to how we go forward in understanding civics. The Democratic Party is doing some of that but they need to do even a better job. And then in that process, I believe that's where the taking for granted starts to go away because these new, younger, fresher minds are going to be representative of the of a new, younger demographic. And so from a streaming this out process, that's what the Democratic leadership has got to take on. Devin, let's grab our man, Bob, from Indiana. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing, sir? I disagree. Uh-oh. But not but not with you, but something I heard a little while ago, uh, the first I heard of it, uh, 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 they're sending uh, Indiana Guard units to help uh, uh, that knucklehead in Texas. Is that true? Keep in mind, yes, you are correct, but keep in mind who runs, who's the senior elected officials in administration in Indiana. I agree with you on disagreeing. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So, I tell you, I, I, I'm going to be making a few phone calls myself today on that one because I'm, uh, I'm sorry, but I, I just... You're using, totally you, they're taking I, I, your I resources. That, I'm sorry, Bob. I'm, I'm with you. I'm partnering with you. Not to speak over you. They're taking your resources, and we got a couple minutes left before the show, in your state to go and do something that that state should be doing on its own. Uh, well, my dad was in that guard unit in 1941, and believe me, they were federalized then. They ought to do that now, and then uh, with all of them, uh, if that's the way this is, game is going to be played, because uh, I don't uh, do not like this kind of stuff at all. Yeah, I know, Bob, and I'm with you on that. Um, I'm going to keep your thoughts together. Let's chat about this throughout the course of the week, because there's other states that are that are chomping at the bit to do that, and it's purely politics. So, Bob. Thank you for calling this morning. Hope things are going well in northwestern Indiana. Give us a shout again tomorrow in the days that follow. Um, and um, stay safe this morning, okay? Okay. All right, Bob. Be well.
Guys, uh, we're coming to the end of the show today. The number is 773-763-9278. As always, uh, we want you to make sure you're supporting um, the Stephanie Miller Show. We want you to support the Tom Hartman Show, Joan, and my other road associate, Patty Vasquez. Um, that's uh, greatly appreciated that you listen to all of our shows, and I'm glad that I can be kind of your voice in the morning to get you up and going in your cars and out the door. So listen, 773-763-9278. This has been Choose Views. Have a wonderful Monday.